This is How I Fuck, and I'm your host, Natalie Rivera. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. How I Fuck is a podcast that explores the sex lives of people from all backgrounds, experiences, lifestyles, conditions, and identities. But while we are a sex podcast, I am not a sex expert. I am a journalist with years of experience who likes to ask people how they have sex. Some of these questions that I have actually pertain to BDSM and kink. For anyone who doesn't know, and it's okay if you don't, BDSM is an umbrella term that breaks down into three categories, bondage and discipline, dominance and submission, and sadism and masochism. The word kink refers to any sexual activity that isn't conventional or falls out of the norm. I don't know too many people in the BDSM community. That being said, some of the representation I've seen of people who are kinky and or are into BDSM comes from TV and movies, which, as we know, usually doesn't portray people accurately. Yeah, I'm talking to you for these shades of gray. Something I do know about BDSM specifically is that consent is very, very important to the community. I've read many articles about how BDSM is probably one of the most consent-friendly communities out there. I even covered the topic in a previous job a few years back. I think people can learn a lot about consent, empowerment, and respect from the BDSM community, which is why I'm so excited about our next guest. But two things before we get started. Point number one, this story belongs to our guest, and it shouldn't be taken as a generalization of everyone who is involved in BDSM or sex work. Point number two, again, I am not part of the BDSM community. So be prepared to hear me ask questions from a very almost clueless place. Okay, here's the episode. Hi, I'm Maya McQueen. I am a professional dominatrix in Los Angeles. And so Maya, um, a professional dominatrix, how, I mean, is that something that you wanted to be growing up? Were you a little girl and you're just like, I want to be a professional dominatrix? You know, I always had a thing for Catwoman, so maybe that uh, started it. Maya has bright red hair and she stands at almost six feet tall. She has a huge warm smile and honestly, I'm tripping out a little because I can't get over how much she looks like Scarlett Johansson. Growing up, Maya was constantly being told that she was too bossy and she she was a little actually. Oh yeah, I mean, I've always been really bossy and by nature because just who I am. I'm also really tall. I'm almost six feet tall. So towering over men has always been a thing that I've done, whether I wanted to or not. Um, Looking back, there's a lot of things that now I go, oh, I went to homecoming with a guy who was like five foot three and and I towered over him and he loved it. That's an aspect of that power exchange. Looking back now, I go, oh, okay, I get that. But in the moment growing up, none of it occurred to me. But now I realize I've always been bossy. I've always been like, I've always liked to be in charge. And I think that lends itself really well to the aspects of BDSM that I practice. Before Maya discovered BDSM for herself, she was having sexual relationships that didn't really explore kink or submissive and dominant dynamics. She would kind of always fall into this submissive role, something she assumed women needed to be. I'm from the middle of the country. I'm from the Midwest, and I'd never been exposed to anything other than regular vanilla sex and assuming that as the woman, I had to take the submissive role. 
that's just kind of deeply ingrained in us by society. But um, I didn't realize that there was other options for me. And, and that helped, really helped open my mind to the fact that I could be the one in control. I could be the one in having the power and making the decisions. And I didn't realize before that there was anything, that any other option. Could you explain to me, because I um, feel like I have an understanding of what, what vanilla submissive dominant means, but if we can have like sound bites of you explaining to me what these terms are. Vanilla means any, it, it's a term, kind of an umbrella term for like a community or a blanket, a term for people who are not kinky, right? So anybody who is considered, and I'm using air quotes, normal, who doesn't participate in BDSM is considered vanilla. It's not an insult. It's just the term for people who have normal sex, what people know as normal sex. Um, a submissive is in the DS dynamic. Um, DS meaning dominant submissive. Submissive is the person who does whatever the dominant says. They are there, you know, their purpose is to serve that person, to obey that person, and that they relinquish power to that person. It's part of the dynamic. The dominant, these are also called tops and bottoms. So sometimes those words are used interchangeably. The dominant or the top is the person who's in charge in the dynamic. They're making the decisions in the moment. They are guiding the experience. They're taking the reins. While the history of BDSM isn't too well documented, some experts believe that BDSM first started gaining momentum in Western culture in the 1940s, with the popularization of pinup and fetish magazines and leather daddies. Though there is evidence that BDSM has been practiced many years before that. But even though its existence dates back centuries, some people are still confused by what BDSM is and what it can mean to people. Of course, BDSM and kink can mean one thing to someone and can mean something completely different to someone else. But there still seems to be some general misconceptions floating around. Some misconceptions include the idea that BDSM is dangerous or that in a heterodynamic, only men are dominant and women are submissive. So I never played professionally as a submissive, but I, when I first was introduced to BDSM as a lifestyle, that was kind of, I thought, my only option. When I first came onto the scene, I, there weren't any female pro-doms. This was, you know, 15 years ago. And I just was going, you know, I was younger and I was going with a friend who... Her husband was a dominant. She was a submissive. So I just went with them. It was We went to Sanctuary. That was the first dungeon I ever went to. And I didn't realize that there was an option for me to be anything else because I didn't see any female dominance there. Uh, it wasn't until later that I realized that I could be both or I could be the other. I was first introduced to BDSM as a lifestyle when I was 19 years old and I played as a submissive and a switch. Um, it wasn't until I was in my 30s that I was introduced to a group of pro-doms. Actually, I think it was in my late 20s. At um, I met them at, at work at my job on a, on a shoot and I was very fascinated by these women. And I was in a place in my life where I was in an abusive relationship and... I felt like I had lost all of my power. And these women possessed this 
innate power that filled the room. And I, I just really wanted that back in my life. And so I ended up taking a class from one of them who was hosting a, a workshop. It was a three-day workshop just as a, as a form of therapy for myself to try to figure out like how I can get my power back. Turned out I'm really good at it. <laughs> I had, I, I stand in my own personal power, no problem. I just needed a little coaching and um, it was so fun. I realized that I could actually do this. I, I was doing it for fun. I realized I could make some money and I started working, networking through the women that I had met and I was lucky enough to be introduced to Isabella Sinclair, one of the top dominatrixes in the world. And she um, took me in and helped mentor me. And now I work at her dungeon, Ivy Manor in downtown. Once I started playing as a dominant, I, I have found now that I, it's, it's almost impossible for me to switch back. Other people have different experiences, but that's my personal experience. One of the many other factors about BDSM that attracted Maya is the community's commitment to communication, something she also felt was missing in her earlier vanilla sexual experiences. The conversations about what you like and what you don't like and your limits and your interests are so much richer in the BDSM community. In vanilla sex, it's more, it's like um, you test the waters, right? So like, I'm going to turn her over and see if she says no. I'm going to put a finger in her ass and see if she says no, right? Where in BDSM, it's like none of that would really happen without a conversation before you even get started. I think that what you're explaining, like, also might be the reason why there's... I mean, like, if you look at the Me Too movement, like Aziz Ansari's case, just like, I didn't know she didn't want that. Even from my own experiences, it's like, let me do these things. Oh, she didn't say anything. Oh, she's not. Yeah, whatever. how far then it's can okay. I push it? Yes, as opposed to asking before you're doing stuff. Mm -hmm. And then this is when people, especially women, feel like they have to go along with it because it's like, well, we're already doing this. Right, and we're also programmed by society to be compliant, to be agreeable. That's how we're taught to be. We're taught to not rock the boat. We're taught to you know, be nice, say yes. And so that bleeds over into every aspect of our lives, including our sex lives. I have definitely had situations where things have happened to me that I felt like I wasn't, like I, the first time I ever had anal sex, I wasn't asked first. It just happened. And then afterwards he said, was that okay? And I said, well, uh, I don't know. I was 19 years old. That had never happened. And it took me years of being like, wait, that was not okay. That was not a thing I wanted to do. And it took me a long time of, of understanding my own agency of being able to say, no, I don't want to do this. You can stop that at any time. Once Maya knew she wanted to be a professional dominatrix or pro-dom, it was now a matter of how to start. So you, we learned a little bit about how to book sessions in the class, like a little bit about protocol of you have to make sure you check references and all of that, and then I had to find a dungeon space. And that's the hardest thing when you're first starting out because nobody knows who you are. So normally you have to come with a referral. This, the, the community is very close-knit. Everybody knows everybody. Um, so I had to find a space. And luckily, uh, a girl that I had met was building her own dungeon, and she let me use her space for my very first session. And the first time you do anything, it's going to suck, right? I was not good. My first session was not good. And luckily, my client was very patient with me, and he's actually still a client of mine to this day. 
but the first session that I took was was awful. I didn't know what I was doing. I was totally just trying to go by the book of this is what I've been taught. Do it this in this order this way. And I realized it's such so much more of a natural thing you, if you let your intuition lead you in the scene of I can tell that this is what this person needs in this moment. Maya found her client via FetLife, a social network for BDSM, kinky, or fetish people. She's attracted clients via FetLife, Twitter, email, and Instagram. That was until her Instagram was taken down. My Instagram recently got deleted at 12,000 followers. Very sad. Instagram targets sex worker accounts and takes them down for no reason. There was nothing bad on my account. What was, what was on there, though? Um, it was all pictures of mostly, I do a lot of fetish modeling, so latex, me and latex, um, pictures of me with whips, with floggers, lots of pictures of my feet. So many pictures of my feet. But nothing, you know, I don't do any nudity and I don't do any sex acts. So there was nothing on there that actually violated Instagram's terms of service. They just didn't like that I was a dominatrix. And they took it down. Five years of work. Just gone. Sorry about that. Yeah, it was a bummer. (laughs) You mentioned that you don't do sex work. How does that also... How does that work? So I, it is sex work, technically. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have sex with my clients. That's my personal choice. I'm a classic BDSM only, meaning I don't do hand jobs, foot jobs, blow jobs. I don't have sex with them. There are people who do full service domination. Um, I'm just not one of them. I have no problem with people doing that. People in the community have very differing opinions on that. Um, to me, to each their own, you know? Um, For me, it's just, I prefer the classic power exchange. I prefer the, for me, the psychological aspect of it is the most exciting thing. Um, And that's just my personal preference. I've never wanted to do nudity because it just wasn't for me. There are plenty of people who do. I think more power to you. It's, It's not my place to judge somebody else the way that they operate their business. Um, but there are people, if that's what you're looking for, there are people who do it. And so do you think that's a misconception with um, PDSM that people think that people who are, in, who are vanilla think that like it's just whipping and then, and oh, then yeah. whipping your dick out? Oh, everybody thinks that I fuck my clients. But it's, it's funny because in the BDSM community, there's this... Uh, People who there are certain people who judge other people who do full service, and then outside of the BDSM community, vanilla people think that we all do full service. But you know, it's each person has their own way of, of operating their business, and I've always been very clear on all on my website, on my Instagram, on that I don't offer that just because that's my personal choice. And there are so many people who just want classic traditional BDSM; they want the traditional power exchange. I find more often than not, that's what people are looking for. So would you say that full service isn't as common as BDSM only? Um, in my experience, it's less common. It's harder to find somebody who will do full service. But it's, they're out there. And you mentioned that people who do BDSM only, some people will look down on people who do full service. Why, why is that? Um, I've never... I think there's a little bit of a a mindset of some people that it takes away from traditional BDSM if you're also offering sex acts. It also makes the the legal, the line of legality very blurry. 
right? So technically, um, domination is not illegal because everything's consensual and there's no, we're not being paid for sex. When you blur that line by doing full service sex acts or anything like that, that's when it turns into under the law prostitution. And that's where you can get in a lot of trouble if you're doing it in a dungeon, right? So most dungeons that you rent from don't allow full service for that reason, because then it becomes like, we're already in a legal gray area because domination technically not illegal, but also you can get busted for it. So when you transition into doing full service or doing sex acts, then you're really, you're really putting your, the business owner at risk, which is why most dungeons don't allow that. For myself, it w- it's a big thing. I don't want to get arrested, and it's never, it's never been on my list of like, I want to. This is part of what I want to do, but the legal thing is a big, is a big thing. The services Maya provides includes a variety of things, and while they may not seem like quote unquote sex to some people, what she does with her clients is sex for them, and can be pleasurable for her. So a scene is any uh, length of time that you spend doing a BDSM power exchange, right? So like I can do a foot worship scene that can be five minutes long. I can do a spanking scene that can be 20 minutes long. I can do full on session, which is typically an hour, anywhere from an hour to three hours. Like for some people, like a foot worship scene can be sex. I have a client who flies to see me once a month. He flies in from, where does he live? Somewhere on the East Coast. He wants an hour-long session of me stepping on him in stiletto heels. That's it. That's sex for him. It's not for me, but I love it. It's so fun. I get such a rush and such a high from the power in that moment. But like, say like this guy who you're stepping on, does he get hard from that. And yes. Okay. And then what happens with that? Does, so, that? does his penis come into play at all? Great question. Um, there is genital play involved. I do a lot of um, CBT, cock and ball torture, which involves genital play. Um, some doms allow their clients to release at the end of the session. Some don't. I typically don't unless it's a client who I have a longstanding relationship with or that's part of their fetish because I think that the anticipation of it is even better than the actual release. And you said CBT? Yes. What not is cognitive behavioral therapy. <laughs> CBT is cock and ball torture. Um, it typically involves like bondage. There are specific bondage techniques where you use rope to tie the cock and balls up. Um, personally, I'm really well known for clothes pinning, meaning I use clothes pins to take the skin on the balls and pinch it and around the cock and pinch it. And I've done very elaborate artwork with clothes pins, different colored clothes pins. I taught a, a class at um, DomCon two years ago about cre- called creative clothes pinning. Yeah, it's one of my favorite things. While the things Maya does with her clients may not be sex for her, people she's come across, especially people she's dated, just can't seem to understand Maya's work and what it means to her. I never really went out of my way to date kinky people until I got a little bit older and realized that that was important. Through most of my 20s, it looked like me like asking my boyfriend to pull my hair. And that was about as far as it went until I started working as pro-dom and then I realized 
<laughs> once I started working as a pro dom, I realized you can't actually date vanilla people when you work professionally in that world because they don't understand. They don't understand what the dynamic is. They think that you're having sex with all of your clients. People don't actually know what goes on. What happens when I have a session with a client is I'm facilitating a power exchange. I'm allowing them to let go in a, in a world where in their life they may never have the opportunity to let go. So it's not about sex. And that's the thing that people don't understand, especially vanilla people. They don't quite get that it can be this kind of sensual thing where it's, you know, latex and, you know, but it's not about sex. I know it sounds crazy. It's, it's hard for people to wrap their brain around and people who are listening are probably going to be like, what do you mean it's not about sex? It's about power and it's about control and releasing control and taking control and the fr kind of freedom that you feel from a situation where you're totally safe to let go. Dating men who claimed they were dominant or kinky was also a bit of a challenge for Maya, who knew that being a pro-dom was definitely something she wanted to keep doing. So I stopped trying to date normal, like vanilla people, and then I started dating kinky guys who were doms because I thought, oh, we have that in common, this'll work, and that went really badly. They would all want to experiment and switch with me. And this happened three times in a row in a very short window of time. I would go out with a guy, we would talk. I used to use it as a litmus test, right? I would say right up front, I'm a professional dominatrix. If that scares you, then this should be the end of our date. And they would be, oh no, that's cool. I wanna know more about it. Tell me what you do. I wanna see your toy bag. Like, let's play. I wanna bottom for you. I wanna su submit to you. And so I go, okay, cool. So we'll do like a little light scene, meaning nothing crazy, nothing scary, just a little light. We'll do it at your house or whatever. And every single time, they would get immediately freaked out. What these men were freaking out about was that they were experiencing sep drop. Sep drop happens after the bottom feels a rush of chemicals to their brain as a result of the play, almost like a high. Once those chemicals start wearing off, though, the bottom might feel confusion or shame about what just happened. You start to feel guilt and shame and all of these feelings of, oh, that was weird. You know, your, your brain, you have this rebound of like, oh, I don't know what that was. And people get really scared by that feeling. And most of the time, people don't talk about that feeling with their partner and all of these guys who were dominants who would experience subdrop would freak out and then text me and be like, I don't think we can see each other anymore. And then I said, okay, well, maybe I need to date a submissive guy because maybe he'll understand. He knows what subdrop is. They've all experienced it. Uh, so I went on a date with a guy who was a submissive who was also a cop, which was a super weird dynamic. <laughs> oh, man. You want to talk about confusing? So confusing. And... I couldn't do it. I was like, I don't want to be in control all the time. There needs to be some kind of back and forth here. Like it can't be all one thing all the time. Dating as a pro dom for Maya meant doing this little dance for a while before finding a person who could be more than one thing for her without freaking out. When I met my partner, he considers himself to be very submissive, but in life, he's very much a, 
a kind of a dominant personality. He runs a business. He is super dynamic and charismatic. He's very much like outgoing, extroverted, and he really uh, matches me very well in the dynamic of he's not trying to have me boss him around all the time or anything like that. He runs his business. We work together. Um, but then he also is able to relax into a submissive role in a way that fits really well. And it's hard for me to kind of pinpoint one particular thing, but I think his fluidity with his ability to communicate what he needs and also know that I'm not going to be one thing all the time. I'm Maya, but I'm so many other things besides that. And he allows me to be all the things rather than these men that I've dated in the past who wanted me to just be Maya all the time. Maya is now engaged to her partner. The interview you just heard was actually from October 2019. I recently called Maya up again to see how things are now that she's newly engaged and, well, in quarantine. So I don't feel comfortable taking clients right now, but I am doing custom videos. So I offer videos, like I shot one yesterday that was a fruit crushing video where I like stepped on bananas and tomatoes. I do like some really fun ones and I have some great clients who have fun requests and you know, I'll shoot them outside in my pool or whatever. I get to shoot them at my house and give them kind of the experience of being in the room with me, even though we're far away from each other. So there are ways to connect. Yeah, for sure. And these videos, like the one that you were saying about the crushing of the fruit, that's something that people can find on your website then? Yeah, you can find it on my website or just send me an email. Um, usually most of my requests are via email, Twitter, DM. Um, I finally got my Instagram. I didn't get my Instagram back, but I got a new Instagram page. So I think I talked about last time how it got yeah. deleted. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, so I have an Instagram again. It's Maya McQueen 2020. Um, it's not, I don't use it a ton because I use other methods of communication more, but there are some photos up there. So something I didn't really get to ask Maya the last time we spoke was what sex is like with her fiancé now. I got to talk to Maya about that in this interview, and damn, I gotta say, I want to visit her house now. So one of the things that we do, that I do with my partner, that actually a lot of kinky couples do, is chastity play, which means, it doesn't mean like that he, that we don't have sex. What it means is that he is not, you know, we, we play games with the amount of time that he is not allowed to have an orgasm. So he is not allowed to, you know, without, without my permission, uh, no jerking off, nothing like that. And I'm the one who's in control of that. And it actually becomes really fun because we've discovered and, you know, anyone who's ever done chastity play knows this, but when men go an, a long amount of time without releasing um, the chemicals that the brain chemicals that they get from an orgasm, they actually become more gentle, more submissive, more devoted to their partner. So the longer we go in these chastity games, the, the more he loves the person that he becomes because of it. You know, he says, I'm a better man when we do this chastity play because I'm more devoted to you. You know, I came home yesterday and he had washed and folded all of my laundry. And that's not because he's uh, for any reason other than he felt like he knew it would make me happy. And when the focus is off of your dick, 
you can focus more on the things that actually kind of round out a relationship. And that's one of the things that I love about kinky play is it forces you to look at dynamics in a different way. What does it do for you other than like having these like kind of nice things done for you like the Oh, I mean, who doesn't love having their laundry done? But what it does for me is it makes me feel empowered. Like I'm the one in control of the circumstances of the relationship. And as somebody who has had times where I felt powerless, you know, that, that makes you, it builds extreme trust. It builds tons of playfulness. And I feel like, you know, it carries over into other areas of my life where I'm like, I can do anything because I feel confident. I feel empowered. I feel like our playtime is, you know, it's more intense. It's more intimate. It's just the, the connection feels deeper when you kind of take the whole, like, who's going to come off the table? It's always me. How does he, has he told you how he feels when he finally does after, and actually a question, um, how long will this go, go for? Like how so it varies how long it goes for. Um, you know, we've done up to like 90 days is kind of the longest that we've done. But he's found personally that he's more like irritable and um, in kind of a bad mood after he comes. Now that we've seen over a long period of time of like, you know, because we do um, what's called tease and denial, right? So like, we'll get he'll get all excited and kind of come right to the edge where he's about to release and then stop. So you get all of the excitement, all of the fun, all of the play, but then you don't get the big finish. So those brain chemicals, that oxytocin builds up, that dopamine builds up, all of those things in your brain, you know, and if you carry it over in a, in a safe, trusting relationship, you don't get that drop, you know? So he, because he doesn't get that drop, he feels, it, it carries over and he feels amazing. And then eventually when we do, we call it a reset, is um, when he does finally get a release, he actually doesn't feel better the next day. Because it's like, we call it day zero. It's like, gotta start over, day zero. And would it be accurate to assume that you being a pro dom and you having these kinks with your partner, that you guys have a pretty cool collection of like sex toys, fun stuff at home? That would be a very accurate assumption. We are uh, connoisseurs of toys. Um, we have, I have a very awesome collection of stuff that I've been collecting over the years for sessions, but also like, you know, I have a few things. I have um, like, a, I just got a really beautiful rose gag from the stock room. And I, I may never use this, but it was so pretty and it's such beautiful craftsmanship. It's really fine leather. It's really nice silicone, you know? So I buy things like this and I, they're displayed in our home. I have a whole collection on the wall behind me of kinky artwork. Um, you know, people, people know when they come to our house, what we're about. And I'm, I'm not, you know, I put it away when our families visit and stuff like that, but I'm pretty, we're pretty open about that stuff with most of our friends. You know, it's no secret. So we have a pretty impressive collection. My my favorite thing that we just that I just recently acquired is a straight jacket. I don't really know anything about using a straight jacket for play. Can you <laughs> describe to me how that works? 
Sure. Um, I like a straight jacket for, it's like for bondage, basically. It's a, it's a quick cheat. If you don't want to tie someone up with ropes, you put them in the straight jacket and then they're kind of at your mercy. So I like to use it for tease and denial because you can't, your arms are crossed in front of you like this and bound basically behind your back. So you have no access to your own body and then you're naked from the waist down. So you can kind of do whatever you want to a person and they have no real uh, ability to fight back. <laughs> it's very fun and they look cool. Seriously, Maya is pretty fucking cool. She is so comfortable and happy in her life and with her sexuality that she kind of makes you want to explore BDSM and kink for yourself. Thankfully, Maya has a few pointers on how to do that. If anyone is listening who is curious about kink, there are tons of people out there who offer um, kink coaching. A very good friend of mine, Hudzi Han, offers kink coaching. And I would highly recommend that if you're curious, um, reach out to a professional. You know, even you can even reach out to me via email and I'm happy to connect you. But it makes it a lot less intimidating to talk to somebody who's done it all and seen it all and, and can communicate everything with you. It's good to go in safely and don't be scared of it just because um, it seems scary. It's not all Fifty Shades of Grey. It's actually a lot of fun, you know. I've done sessions where I dress people up in a puppy costume and have them drink out of a water bowl and, you know, we both laughed for an hour and that that can be, that can be cake. Amazing. And where can people find you? Um, you can find me at mayamcqueen.com. That's M-A-I-A-M-C-Q-U-E-N.com. Um, I'm on Twitter, Maya McQueen. I'm on Instagram, mayamcqueen2020. Or you can send me an email, mistressmayamcqueen at gmail.com. Happy to answer questions, make custom videos, whatever anybody needs. You heard it here, you guys. We're going to be stuck in this quarantine for a while longer. So why not send Maya an email and learn some ways you can make your sex life a little kinkier? And on that note, that was our episode. This episode was produced by me, Natalie Rivera. I'm also the host and creator. Ben Quiles is our audio engineer. Cheyenne Lopez did copy and fact check. Music is by Miguel Gutierrez. Find his music online under his artist name, Mag. Chelsea Coca is our vocal coach. Our marketing team includes Gabriela Sanchez and Alyssa Medina. Our sponsorship manager is Muna Kulabali. Make sure to check out our sponsor, Fembot Magazine. We also have an Instagram that a lot of you seem to enjoy. Be sure to check that out. And if you like this podcast, please, please, please subscribe, rate it, and review it. Taking five minutes to write some nice words and rate us on Apple Podcasts would absolutely mean the world to us. Thanks again and stay tuned for our next episode.